Welcome to Choiceless, a storytelling podcast from Rewire Radio about reproductive injustice and the laws that put people in choiceless situations. I'm Jen Stanley, senior staff reporter at Rewire and the host of this podcast. In each episode, I talk to people about the difficulties and consequences they face accessing basic health care. And when I came up with the concept for this show, I hope to give people a platform to take back their stories from the dangerous, false, and shameful rhetoric surrounding sex, unplanned pregnancy, and reproductive rights. But coming forward requires bravery, because it can come at a price. Anti-choice legislators and activists will often try to advance their agenda by targeting those who speak out and grossly misrepresenting their stories. In many cases, they will fabricate a false narrative entirely to silence and shame. This episode is a perfect example. Kelly Fitzgerald is a 30-year-old writer who lives in Cape Coral, Florida with her fiancé, Fernando, and their two cats. Kelly is three years sober. But before that, in the fall of 2012, she had an illegal abortion while living in Mexico, an event that she now credits with helping her on the path to sobriety. In April 2016, Kelly wrote about this experience for an online publication called Ravishly, Within weeks, it had been poached by a handful of anti-choice websites that used personal photos from her social media accounts to accompany defamatory headlines and stories filled with medical and scientific inaccuracies. Here's Kelly's story. I had moved to Cancun in 2009, basically to get away from life. Um, I really just wanted to escape reality. And since I moved there, um, I had partied a lot. I drank a lot. I used a lot of drugs. Um, I became involved with people who drank and used the same way that I did. And it was a very chaotic situation. Um, My life was definitely unmanageable in every way possible. I've gone through different stages of drinking and partying throughout my life. And Cancun especially is where it heightened. Um, It's a a party town. It's a tourist city. um, So everyone is drinking and partying. So it was basically heaven for me. Um, The year 2012 was very crazy for me. I had broken up with an ex-boyfriend the previous year, and I just went crazy after that. I was drinking every night, um, using cocaine almost every night. Um, And during spring break was even worse because spring break, there's more people there. There's more parties. I met Fernando, and our relationship was very rocky in the beginning. We fought all the time. Um, We broke up several times. Um, It was very toxic in the beginning, and this was all related to drinking and and using drugs. And um, there were friends that I that I was around with um, that were also very toxic. Um, People that I would have never hung out with had I been not been drinking and using. And, you know, there were blackouts um, as a result of my drinking where I would wake up and not know what happened. I was a person who got nasty hangovers. I almost always uh, threw up either uh, while I was drinking or sometimes not until the next day. And um, I would have pounding headaches. Um, I felt bloated all the time. My face was very bloated and... And just discolored and I can look at pictures from back then and think like, wow, that doesn't even look like me and my face just looks completely different. Um, And uh, I just, you know, I was missing work a lot at that time. 
I actually ended up quitting a job that, that I had where I was going into an office and getting another job that was work from home so that I could like party more. Um, and, it, you know, I felt disgusting, basically. <laughs> I think we had been dating <clears throat> Fernando and I about five months before I found out I was pregnant. My body was feeling much different than normal, even though um, you know I had been used to feeling crappy because of drinking. But this was much different. This was more extreme. This was like I was <clears throat> extremely tired. Um, I would go to bed at like 10 p.m. and wake up at 8 a.m. right before work and still be exhausted. I was very bloated um, and um, I had so Fernando and I hadn't been the safest with using birth control um, it, and that goes back to because I had stuff going on with my face I had melasma um, right around the time when I met him so I had gone off oral birth control and <clears throat> so with that we were being unsafe with not using condoms as much as we should have and um we had we had known that we were unsafe, so I decided to take the morning after pill um, right around this time, and um, I thought that worked, and it didn't. Um, so I had continued to feel this weird way. My body wasn't normal, and actually a friend of mine, actually two friends of mine at that time, became pregnant, and I was like, wow, weird. Everyone's getting pregnant, and then I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so weird. What if I'm pregnant? And I thought to myself, that can't be the case because I took the morning after pill, but I don't know. So after like several days, I decided I should just take a pregnancy test and find out because I was feeling very weird. So I went to a pharmacy in Cancun, <clears throat> bought a pregnancy test for like $4, um, went back to my house took the test Fernando came over and it was positive um we were in my little apartment in Cancun and I just was like a mess I lost it as soon as I saw the results of the test um I started hysterically crying I was extremely angry at myself I was like oh my god what am I going to do um he looked like a deer in headlights he was obviously just as surprised and worried and upset as I was, but he was trying to console me. And I was just very drained and terrified. The first thing I did was go to a gynecologist because I thought, okay, well, let's make sure this test is correct. Um, I got a, a recommendation from, from a friend on a gynecologist to see a woman doctor. And I went there thinking, you know, that, I don't know, I don't know what I thought it would be like, but it wasn't what I thought it would be like. It was traumatizing. They did an ultrasound without asking me if I wanted one and printed, printed me out a picture. You couldn't barely see anything. Um, but it was still traumatizing nonetheless and emotional. And the gynecologist was like, congratulations. And um, gave me some vitamins to take, 
and sent me on my way. She, it was obviously never talked about that I possibly wouldn't go through with the pregnancy because abortion is illegal in Cancun. Um, and they just assume that you would be happy to be pregnant. So that in and in of itself was very emotional. So leaving the gynecologist, I was just crying my eyes out and, and Fernando was, you know, consoling me. And I was like, all right, well, we need to figure out how to get an abortion. And, um, and, and I, that was pretty much my reaction right away because I knew that there was no way that it, I could go through with it. I think every woman who's sexually active thinks about what they would do if they got pregnant. Um, and I was no different. I had always known about abortion. I am obviously pro-choice and I had thought many times if I got pregnant, I would have an abortion. Um, but it was really hard when it actually happened. Abortion is illegal in Mexico, except in cases of rape, incest, or when the pregnant person's life is in danger. States can regulate their abortion laws, and some allow abortion for severe congenital defects. But Kelly did not fall into one of these categories. If she chose to have an abortion in Mexico, it was not going to be legal. I had had friends that I knew and acquaintances who had abortions in Cancun. So it was like word of mouth. They passed me a business card. It was very on, down low, like hush, hush. Um, they were like, call this number, go see this guy, um, and he'll take care of you. I was so scared. I, I don't know, like, I was terrified because, number one, I had to have an abortion. Number two, I had to go to some doctor that I didn't know. And um, that was illegal and shady and in a weird part of town in a country that I'm not from. But I knew it was the only way. So I went and saw the doctor. The office was in a, not not the worst looking part of town, but a really shady area set back from the road and there was no signs or anything to tell you it was a doctor so that makes me feel un unsafe and um I just I remember I, the, the steps were like falling apart and the, the paint was cracking off the walls and um and fur was with me through all this he went with me um and we went in and we talked to the doctor we sat in his little like office room and and um, he just had like one small waiting room and then one big procedure room. And there was like a desk next to the bed where the procedures are done. Um, doesn't look like any office, a doctor's offices that I've seen in, in the United States, that's for sure. Um, the doctor was very nice. 
Um, and you know, he was, he was straightforward. He told me and Fernando exactly what was going to happen. He was going to give me pills first. I would go home, take them, let that, those pills work, lay, lay down for the rest of the night, rest, and then come back in the morning and, um, get the, the suction procedure done to make sure everything was removed. Um, and we had to pay in cash, <laughs> um, because obviously because, you know, it was illegal. And, um, you know, I just remember like getting my paycheck and literally 80% of that paycheck went, went for the abortion. Um, so I, we went and saw him and then he wanted me to wait like a, a week or, or so to actually get the procedure. Cause I was running a race or something. And I actually drank in between that time too. Um, cause that's how I dealt with my feelings back then. Um, so then when the day came, um, I took the pills and, you know, went to the bathroom and bled a little bit. And then the next morning went to the, to the doctor's office and I didn't really know. I mean, this was also like he was talking in Spanish mostly. So Fernando was my interpreter. Um, cause I only had limited Spanish at the time, but, um, I just showed up and he put me under general anesthesia and that's all I remember. <laughs> I still don't really know what happened cause I was asleep. Um, I mean the procedure only took 15 minutes, I think. Fernando was outside the door the whole time and, you know, then they sent me on my way and everything went well as far as I know, but it was scary um, because I just felt like I didn't really know what was going on and I was very, very tired. Um, you know, I think it's, I just sleep for a few hours after that. Um, but, you know, those days afterwards, I just felt like I was grieving um, like my body just didn't feel like my own. It took forever for my body to go back to normal. Um, and I kept the, the printout of the ultrasound for like six months afterwards. Fernando was like, you need to throw it out because it's just making you upset every time you find it when you're like cleaning your room. And I was like, yeah. And then I eventually did, but it took me a while to part with the picture. I don't know. I just wanted to remember what happened, I think. I don't want to forget. Um, it was like a really significant um, event, I think, in my life for many reasons. So, I don't know. I think I needed that reminder and then when I was you know felt like I was past a point of grieving I got rid of the picture and I wouldn't want it now Kelly continued to drink and use after her abortion she says it's how she managed her emotions uh, Fernando and I had gotten closer I think actually the abortion made a, our bond stronger and um so with that we started living together you know, he had oftentimes told me that um, he thought I had a worrisome relationship with alcohol. So I tried to cut back. But six months later, their relationship was in trouble. 
She had gone to Punta Cana for a friend's bachelorette party. Fernando didn't want me to go on the trip because he knew how I drank. He didn't trust that I would be able to control my drinking. We had been talking about it for months because we had planned the trip, my friends and I, for months. And I had promised him that I would be okay, that I would control my drinking, that everything would be fine. Um, I wouldn't black out. I would be responsible. Um, So I went on the trip. And the first days I did okay. I still drank, but I didn't black out. I was able to message Fernando and tell him I was okay. But like the second or third day there, I ended up blacking out just like I always had. And um, he knew like what happened. Um, And, you know, I had gotten out of control. I had thrown up. My friends had to take care of me. The same old drinking patterns that he had to deal with several times in the past and he had been my caretaker during drinking um many times and so he messaged me while I was in Dominican Republic and said all right you know this is over I I can't be with you anymore you made these promises you obviously aren't serious about controlling your drinking and I don't want to deal with this anymore I'm breaking up with you and so the remaining time I had to think about that um, I was extremely upset. I continued to drink in, in the Dominican Republic for the last two days. And, um, in the airport on the way home back to Cancun, I just had like a breakdown. I just was crying my eyes out. I was hung over. I felt like crap emotionally, physically, um, mentally, um, I called my mom in the airport and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't stop drinking. I can't, I mean, I can, but I can't control the way I drink. I, every time I want to drink normally and I can't, and I keep failing at these things that I'm setting myself up for. And I'm losing a relationship that means a lot to me, a a man that has been very supportive and, and great for me. I'm losing him. Um, I had an ex-boyfriend before I dated Fernando who also brought up to me that I, that he didn't think my drinking was normal. So I was like, okay, there's something going on. Like this is a pattern. It's not just them. It's me. I'm the common denominator here. Fernando picked her up from the airport. She said that she was committed to trying to stay sober and she's been sober ever since. That's my sober date, May 7th, 2013. Now that I'm sober, I have this way that I can reflect on my life where I'm really grateful for everything that I've been through, especially my abortion, because it was honestly the turning point of my life. Like, I think back and I'm like, if my life hadn't been so unmanageable and been shown to me in the way that I got pregnant and I had to have the abortion, I might not have ever gotten sober. And sobriety has given me everything. So I'm grateful for all the events that happened that led up to that. Um, So I would say I kind of I've moved past the grieving process for my abortion. And it's just like something that I'm really grateful for now that it changed my life. It it saved my life. I mean, I think now like how different my life would be had I gone through with the pregnancy and had a child. I mean, I might not be sober. I might not be with Fernando. I mean, who knows if our relationship would have made it through that. And now I get to marry him and we get to decide when we're having our kids. Kelly gradually told her close family and friends about her abortion. 
She says that although her mother had always been pro-choice and an active member of the National Organization for Women, she was the most difficult person to tell. I didn't want her to know how out of control my life was. I didn't want her to know I was down in Cancun, like, drinking and getting pregnant and, you know, just having this completely chaotic life. I didn't want her to worry. I didn't, I kind of felt like I deserved to keep the burden to myself. Now that she's sober, she finds purpose in sharing her story. She started a blog while still living in Cancun, and a post she wrote about her first year of sobriety went viral and began her writing career. She still hadn't written or spoken about her abortion publicly until late in 2015, when she shared her story with the Abortion Diary podcast. Then, in the spring of 2016, she wrote a personal essay about her experience for the online publication Ravishly. After my article was published published on Ravishly, um, I shared it with my social networks. Everyone had a great response. I, everyone was very supportive. I didn't have one negative response um, until I realized um, there was an angry reaction on my Facebook post. And uh, I didn't know who it was from. So I clicked on this girl. It was a stranger. I'm not friends with her on Facebook. And... It was an article that she shared that had my face on it. The anti-choice propaganda site Life News had published an article about her. It had the headline, Woman has abortion so she won't have to stop drinking and partying, and a picture of her taken from her Twitter account. And I saw it, and I was like, oh my God. And my stomach just dropped. Like, I felt sick. I was like, why is my face on this website with this headline? Like, what the hell? I was so shocked and disgusted and I was like oh my god what's happening someone had you know copied and pasted most of my ravishly narrative into this article and then used it to to say that abortion is wrong to tell tell the world that and name me and use my photo that they stole from my twitter account um to tell the world that I, I had an abortion to keep drinking and partying. And and they had mentioned in there, because I wrote in my Ravishly article, that my abortion was the turning point in my life, which led me to sobriety. And they said, no, that's not true. Now, if you Google my name, all of these, these um, defamatory articles come up. There are several versions of the article on the Internet. Each misrepresents Kelly's story to support medically inaccurate claims, like... Abortion commonly leads to drug addiction and depression. None of the sites reached out to Kelly for permission or for a comment. I'm surprised they singled me out and stalked through my Twitter profile and, you know, took the time to demonize me. But um, if anything, it just makes me realize how important it is for people to share their abortion stories. These right-wing, anti-choice, anti-abortion people... They demonize sex. They didn't experience the emotions and grieve like I did. Only I have that power. Kelly says that she's going to continue sharing her story despite the risk. In fact, she says that as anti-choice lawmakers are currently chipping away at Americans' access to abortion and contraception, it's more important than ever to tell people about what it's like to access abortion in a place with such restrictive laws.
This episode of Choiceless was produced by me, Jen Stanley, for Rewire Radio, with editorial oversight by Mark Filetti, our director of multimedia, Jody Jacobson is our editor-in-chief, Brady Swenson is our director of tech, music for this episode is by Doug Helsel, special thanks to all the staff at Rewire. For more information about Kelly's story and for comprehensive news, commentary, and analysis on reproductive and sexual health injustice, check out our website at freewire.news. Thanks for listening.